Take your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. I uh, was recently asked to preach in another church, and I was specifically asked to preach on the Bible issue. I think that many of our people have established what the Word of God is, where the Word of God is. But uh, I don't know if you know it, there's a lot of churches haven't figured that out. A lot of churches, the newest Bible on the market is good enough for them. They, uh, they don't care which title it is, what name it has on it. And so I was asked to preach at a church, and before I preached it, I asked that pastor, I said, how many of your people have it figured out? And his answer was maybe 10%. 10% had the Bible issue figured out. That pastor, before he let me preach, he said to his people, I think that every issue of the church needs to be re-preached because every new generation does not have the same convictions that the previous one does. And I think that's also true about the Bible issue. And so tonight, I'm going to preach here. And you say, well, Pastor, we got it figured out. Well, maybe most do, maybe some do. Maybe there are some here that have never figured that out. And you do it just because we do it, but you couldn't explain for the life of you why 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'd like us to begin by reading verse 16, and then verse 17, and we'll have a word of prayer. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning reading out loud, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for each one that's here tonight. And Lord, for some, this will be a reminder of where we're at. For others, it will maybe be the first explanation for why we hold the old-fashioned Bible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind some that already know. And Lord, you'd help us to catch up and maybe catch up some ground never been gained before in others. Pray, direct my words, my thoughts, fill me with your spirit. And Lord, may this help our church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, I love preaching. I love teaching. I love listening to it. I love even more doing it. I don't think there's any more important issue to get settled in your life outside of your salvation than what you believe about the Bible. Uh, I don't know if you recall. We won't turn to it for sake of time. Matthew chapter 22 some Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? You and I know that there are 613 commandments in the law. So it was really a trick question that this Pharisee, this lawyer, was asking Jesus. I think this lawyer was of the opinion, there's no way that you could elevate one command above all the rest. Because if you did elevate one command above all the rest, it would be minimizing the rest. So he was sure he had Jesus stumped. And yet, you know the text in Matthew 22, Jesus didn't waste a moment asking that, answering that question. Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Jesus was saying that that command indeed rises higher than all the rest of the commands. Why? 
all the rest will follow if indeed we love God more than anything else. I would give you an equal, equal question. Pastor, what's the most important doctrine in the Christian faith? You know that Christians hold many doctrines. We hold the doctrine of the Trinity. We hold the doctrine of the virgin birth. We hold the doctrine of the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. We hold the doctrine of eternal security. We hold the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We hold the doctrine of a future judgment. So if I asked you which is the most important doctrine of all the doctrines that we hold, I would suggest to you the most important doctrine that we hold is the doctrine of the Scriptures. Preach, why would you say that? Because everything else that we believe comes from this Bible. Do you understand if we did not have a Bible, we would not know that there is a trinity? If we didn't have a Bible, we would not know that there was a virgin birth. If we did not have a Bible, we would not know that our sins are forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If we did not have a Bible, we would not know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible is absolutely critical to everything that we are and everything that we believe. And the devil knows that. And that's why the devil has made every attempt to undermine the word of God. We know that the very first words that we hear out of the mouth of Satan, Genesis chapter number 3, Yea, hath God said. The very first words that we read of the enemy of God, he was questioning the words of God. And he didn't stop there. He has continued to do that. And there has been an endless attack upon the words of God. Take away the scripture. And we are like a ship without a rudder. We are totally at the mercy of every wind that blows by. So I say to you that the most important doctrine that we hold to is the doctrine of the scriptures. Do we have the word of God? I, you know that many think that it's been lost. We believe that we have the Word of God. Now, we started here in 2 Timothy 3.16 because it's one of the greatest verses, verses on the Bible issue. If you're taking notes, that's my title tonight, The Bible Issue. I trust that you'll write something down, but look here in 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul is writing, all Scripture, that's the Word of God, that's the Bible, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's a number of things we get from verse 16. Uh, the first one we get is the scriptures, the word of God, God has given us. Second thing, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So this Bible is profitable in every area of your life. He lists some of those areas. He says for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So first of all, the scriptures God gave us. Secondly, the scriptures will help us in every area of our life. Third thing that we learn from verse 16 is a little word is. All scripture is present tense, not past tense. Some people talk about, when they talk about the Bible issue, they will say, I readily admit that at one time there was a perfect scriptures. 
at one time there was a perfect Bible. It doesn't say was. It says is. Look at it again, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Folks, if you don't have a Bible in your hands today, that's the perfect word of God. You can't get the help that's promised in verse 16. Look at verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Notice that word truly. That word truly means completely. It, it, the, if you break down the word, it means through and through. In other words, Paul said that if you and I have in our hands and in our heart the scriptures, then we are truly th uh, furnished. Let me explain how important that word truly is. If you were to rent a house and that house was advertised in the papal, uh, papal, <laughs> paper, as being truly furnished. It would mean that it has all the tables. It also comes with all the chairs. It has all the couches, all the coffee tables. It has the, the lamps. It has uh, the beds, the linens. It has the dressers. It has the garbage cans. And maybe even has garbage in the garbage cans. That word truly means it is completely furnished with everything that you need in life. Do you know what Paul said about the scriptures? If you have the scriptures in your hand and in your heart, it will truly, completely equip you for this entire life that you live. I think this question of do we have a Bible is pretty important. You know where we're going to end. We're going to end with the fact that the King, the old-fashioned King James Bible is the Word of God. It's very important. Could I say this? I'm amazed how many people leave this church after having been here for years and just go to the church closest to them. How can you do that if the church closest to you does not believe that the Bible in their hands is the perfect word of God. Folks, this isn't a secondary issue. This isn't the 10th issue on important details of a church to attend. This should determine the church that you would attend. This should determine the church that you join. Could I say for young people that decide to go off to Bible college, why would you go to a Bible college that does not believe that you can hold the perfect word of God in your hands? This should determine the Bible college you attend. This should determine the ministries that you would consider sending money to. If that ministry doesn't believe that God has perfectly preserved his word, why would you send support? to that ministry because charisma isn't going to change lives. Programs aren't going to change lives. It's the Word of God that can truly furnish people. So if they're using a Bible because they don't believe the Bible, I say to you tonight, we're going to look at this Bible issue. And again, it ought to determine the church you attend. It ought to, be, to determine the church that you join. It ought to determine where, what church you'd go to on vacation. 
It ought to determine the Bible college that you go to. Uh, Satan knew that uh, he could never convince Christians to discard the Bible. So what he's done is he has diluted the one perfect Bible with hundreds of other Bible versions today so that some people have come to the opinion it doesn't matter what Bible I have as long as I have a Bible. I don't have to tell you that uh, there, if, if you regularly read your Bible, you're in a small minority because not every Christian regularly reads the Bible. Uh, do you know some uh, don't read the Bible because I, I suppose they uh, think, why would I read a Bible that's thousands of years old? Some would say, why would I read a book that's just been written by men? Some people say, why would I spend time reading a book that, and, and there are a thousand excuses. If you indeed believed that this was the perfect word of God, well, you wouldn't let a day pass without reading it. So again, we're going to look at this question of the Bible issue, and we're going to ask God to enlighten us. Uh, do you know that uh, no church can please God without a Bible given first place in it? And no individual Christian can please God without the Bible given first place in it. And I wonder if you consider yourself a Christian, if you identify yourself as a believer, what part does a Bible have in your life and what's your opinion of it? Let's have a look here. Uh, you can let go of 2 Timothy. Turn, if you would, to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 119. So again, if you're taking notes, trust you write the title down, The Bible Issue. Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119, while you're turning to that, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Anyone tell me, how many verses in Psalm 119? Real loud. 176. That's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Second question, what is the longest chapter in all the Bible? What's it about? It's about the Bible. The longest chapter in the entire Bible, the theme of that chapter is the Bible. Do you know that in Psalm chapter 119, we find the words, thy word, 39 times. We find thy words four more times. In this chapter alone, we have other words used to describe it. We read about the law and the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments and the precepts. But look there in Psalm 119 and verse 89. Psalm 119 and verse 89. Now again, Psalm 119 has how many verses? 176. If you divide 176 in half, you're going to get verse 88 and 89. So two verses run to the very center. The very middle verse of this chapter is Psalm 119 verse 89. Let's see what it says. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you know that David wrote that? And when David wrote that, I say, preacher, why is that such an important verse? What David was saying in that verse is before the scriptures were ever penned on this earth, they already existed up in heaven. Uh, we know the book of Genesis. Help me. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, the very first words, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
Do you know before Moses ever began to pen Genesis 1-1, that verse was already in heaven. We know that Matthew was written by who? Trick question, Matthew. Do you know that Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, Matthew 1-1 says the book of the generation of... Do you know before Matthew ever penned Matthew 1-1 on this earth, it had already been written up in heaven. We know the very last book of the Bible is Revelation. Revelation is written by John. Do you know when John wrote the last words of Revelation, he wrote, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Before John ever penned the last words in our Bible, they were already up in heaven. Look again at Psalm 119, verse 89. David said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Think about that word settled. That word settled means no more shifting. That word settled means no more adjusting. That word settled means no more changing. That word settled means it's, it, it's finally got to its final stage. When David wrote this, Think with me. Help me. Think with me. Psalm 119. How much of the New Testament had already been written when David wrote Psalm 119, verse 89? Oh, well, none on this earth. There was, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. None of that was written yet. Yet David said, thy word is settled in heaven. Well, how's that possible? It's not even been all written down here on earth. Because long before the Bible was ever written on earth, it was already settled in heaven. I'm saying to you, if you're taking notes here, and again, we're looking at the Bible issue, I, I want you to write this down, that uh, there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Again, there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. This New Testament hadn't even been written on earth yet. And yet David said, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you know the truth is, the last part of the Old Testament hadn't been written yet. Psalm 119, verse 89, David wrote it. I'm going to guess he wrote it around 1000, 1015 B.C. Well, there was a lot of books that were written after that. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, so, but none of those books had been written yet. But David said, thy word is settled in heaven. No more changing in heaven. No more adjusting the one in heaven. Very first thing that you need to consider is there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Folks, this is not a new book. It might be a new book to people, groups in this world that never had it translated in their language. But this is not a new book. It might be a new book to people that never read it before. To them, it might be new. But this Bible is by no means a new book. This Bible has been, and this Bible will always be. In fact, you're in Psalm 119. Look there in verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Again, you see a preacher, why is that so important? Why is it so important to know that the Bible is already settled in heaven? Because, folks, as we speak, 
there are still people and committees that are trying to rewrite the Bible and change this verse and change that word and change that. They're doing it so that they can earn money by selling a new revision of the Bible. But folks, the Bible's already settled in heaven. It's already fixed. It's already a done deal. There's no changes. There's no fixing. Preacher, are there any other passages that would tell us that great truth that this Bible is an eternal book? Listen to this, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. John chapter 12 and verse 48. He that rejecteth me, Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Folks, one of these days, you and I aren't going to be on this earth anymore. One of these days, we're going to be in heaven. And God is going to take his settled word in heaven to judge us one day. I say, first of all, on this uh, Bible issue, there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Do you know, as I preached this to the church, someone came to me after service. Pastor, I never knew that. I had no idea that long before the Bible was ever written down here, it was already settled in there. That's great truth. I give you a second great, great truth. You're in Psalms, there in Psalm chapter 68. Again, Psalm chapter 68. David gives us another great truth about the Bible. Not only is the Bible settled in heaven, it was in heaven long before it was ever penned on this earth. Psalm chapter 68 and verse 11. The Bible says the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Look at the first part again. The Lord gave the word. Now I need you to think. As much as we're excited that long before the Bible was ever penned on this earth, that it was already settled in heaven. What is the problem if the only Bible that's could to be found is settled in heaven? Help me, what's the problem with that? We can't get to heaven yet. They're not loading up a bus, taking people to heaven yet. That bus will be coming, called the rapture. But folks, it, 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 it's a great truth that long before the Bible was written down here, it was already settled up in heaven. But we can't get to heaven. We can't access that perfect Bible in heaven. That's why the second truth about the Bible issue is such a great truth. That Psalm in chapter 68 and verse 11, David has written, the Lord gave the word. So God in his graciousness, knowing up in heaven, he had the perfect word of God. He said, I'm going to do something that's going to be a blessing to people down on this earth. I am going to give them the word. I don't know if you've heard the statements, an old statement, an old colloquial statement, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. How many of you ever heard that? Just a few. It, it, it's kind of like saying, it's sure better to have something in your hand than two or three of something that you can never get your hand. Let me give you something up to date. A turkey in your freezer is a whole lot better than 20 turkeys down at Sobeys. That make sense? Well, you can go to Sobeys and, wow, look at them all. Look at the, look at the size of those things. That doesn't help you because it's not in your freezer. It's not in your house. It's not in your oven. It's not on your table. 
it's a great truth that there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. But that wouldn't help us yet if that's where it stopped. God, in his graciousness, graciousness gave his word. God, God decided, I'm going to give people my word, and I'm going to give that word perfectly. And so God dictated to some men and maybe even some women through the times of the scriptures, and he told them word for word what to write. Some people have this notion that, uh, you know what, God gave Matthew just the general idea and said, Matthew, now put it in your own words. No, 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 no. God gave the word. Some people have this idea that God told Paul, Paul, I want you to write a book and send it to the Corinthians, and I want you to correct some of the things that they're doing wrong. Put it in the best words. No, no, no. God gave the word. Our Lord decided that he was going to tell men exactly what to write. We believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. Uh, keep your hand there in Psalms, if you would. Look again in uh, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. That is where we started tonight. Again, the first thing you've written is, there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Second thing, if you would write, God gave his word to this earth. God gave his word to this earth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the Bible term for it. That God, word for word, told David what to write. God, word for word, told Moses what to write. God, word for word, told Paul what to write. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. People say, well, you know what? I wouldn't read the Bible because the Bible is just a book written by men. How many have heard that one before? You know, it's true that men held the pen, or it's true that men held the quill. It's true that men were the ones to put those words to paper or to parchment, but it wasn't their words. It was God's words. So this notion that I wouldn't read the Bible because the Bible is just written by men, men could never have written the Bible if God hadn't specifically told them what to write. Uh, you don't need Second Timothy. Keep Psalms if you would, but look over there in Jeremiah 36. After Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah... There are a number of passages that tell us how specifically this inspiration took place. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter number 36. Look there in verse number 1. Jeremiah 36 verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, God is speaking to Jeremiah. Let's see what God says to Jeremiah. Verse number two. Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke unto thee, from the days of Josiah even unto this day. Folks, that is inspiration at its best. 
God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take a book and I want you to write down the words that I've spoke. God gave Jeremiah the exact words, not just the thoughts, not just the general ideas. God said, Jeremiah, these are the words that I want you to write. Now, the truth is, Jeremiah himself didn't take the pen and start writing. Jeremiah then spoke the words that God told him to another man named Barak. Look at verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah, and Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Folks, that's inspiration. That is the Lord giving the word. The Bible isn't just the words of men. The Bible isn't just the great ideas of great men. The Bible is God giving the word to us on this earth. That was Jeremiah 36. Let me show you another example of that, Acts chapter 1. You can let go of Jeremiah, Acts chapter 1. Again, we'll, uh, we'll be right back to Psalms, but Acts chapter number 1. We find in Acts 1 that Peter is standing up. He's standing up with the, uh, with the believers there. Or Jesus has just ascended in verse 9. Look there in Acts 1 and verse 15. Acts 1 and verse 15, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture, so he's quoting Old Testament Bible scripture, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. The Holy Spirit told Judas what to write, sorry, told David what to write, and David penned it about this man Judas Iscariot. And so David starts writing. First thing that we believe about the Bible issue is there is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Second thing that we believe on the Bible issue is God gave his word to this earth. Before we get back to Psalms, you can let go of Acts, but look there in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, and preacher, do we really have to check all these verses? I, I guess we do. Because we're having folks that decide for whatever reason they're going to stop attending Golden Plains Baptist Church. And they just pick a church down the road. Well, it's got a tall steeple. Well, it's got stained glass. Only well, got choreographer and women that dance on the platform. What about the Bible? Do they believe the Bible in their hands is a perfect? Well, no, they don't. Then why would you attend a church like that? Why would you sit under a preacher that quotes a Bible but doesn't believe that it's the perfect word of God? Why would you do that? Okay, you're here in 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 20. Peter says, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture, okay, we're talking about the Bible again, is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came, not in old time by the will of man. So the scripture didn't come to be because man willed it. Because man, decided, man one day said, you know, I think I'm going to write a letter. And I'm going to do the very best I can, and we're going to put it in a book called the Bible. It did not come by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Folks, there's no scripture being written today. The Spirit of God is not telling men or women, for that matter, to write this down, because this is going to be part of the Holy Scriptures. 
No. We thank uh, God that secondly, the God gave his word to this earth. Now, folks, if you think about that from a human perspective, it's impossible. If, if we came to you and said, I want you to collect 40 people, they have to be from all different walks of life. They have to at least be from three different continents of this world. They have to be spread over 1,700 years. So they, they can't be buddies of each other that they can look over the other guy's shoulder and see what he wrote. And, and, and we need them to write a, a treatise, a, a, a document about the Christian faith. We know that in that document, there's going to be all kinds of, there's going to be history in there, and there's going to be some geography in there. We know there's going to be some politics in there. We know there's going to be some domestic things in there, family and home and marriage. And the only condition when those 40 authors have finished writing, it has to be perfect. There can be no mistakes. There can be no contradictions. You'd say, Pastor, don't give me that job. Because I think that'd be impossible to get 40 people to write something that is in complete agreement. Folks, for that to happen, it would take a miracle. It's called the miracle of the scriptures. This book is different than any other book. People talk about uh, Shakespeare being inspired to write Hamlet or Omelette or whatever. That kind of inspiration is nothing like the inspiration that David was under when he wrote. Nothing like Moses, nothing like Paul. First of all, we have seen that there is, uh, th there is a perfect Bible settled in it. Se second thing, we have seen that God gave his word to this earth. Do you know, parts of our Bible were written in tents. Parts of it were written in deserts and cities and palaces and ships. Part of it was written in dungeons. We know that among its writers were judges and kings and priests and prophets, patriarchs and prime ministers and herdsmen and scribes, physicians and fishermen. And yet, despite all of those differences, that book is a perfect book. How is that possible? Because the Lord gave the word. God gave it. The only way to explain how 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different men over 1,700 years could have no errors and no contradictions and no oops. It wasn't the men who wrote it that were perfect. It was the God behind those men that told them what to write. Listen to these texts. We don't turn to it. Exodus 17, 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Exodus 34, 27, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. Numbers 5, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 23, The priest shall write these curses in a book. Deuteronomy 27, verse 8, And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1, Moreover the Lord said unto me, Isaiah speaking, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen, concerning Mahar uh, Shalahashbaz. I, I, I think that Isaiah said, Lord, could you spell that? <laughs> they didn't write what they, because they would have called him John or Tim or Fred or Bob. They didn't come up with that. God came up with that. Folks, first of all, there's a perfect Bible settled in heaven. Secondly, God gave his word.
to this earth. I give you a third thing. You're in Psalm, look there in Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter number 12. Now, you need to believe that there is a perfect word, the Bible settled in heaven. You need to believe that. A lot of folks don't. You need to believe that God gave his word to this earth. I give you a third great truth about the Bible issue, Psalm chapter number 12. Psalm chapter number 12, and look there, if you would, in verse number 6. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. Notice that word are, A-R-E. It didn't say the words of the Lord were pure words. It says the words of the Lord, present tense, are pure words. Got to be the third thing to write down. God promised to preserve his word on this earth. God promised to preserve his word on this earth. Let's keep reading Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them. What's the them? The words of the Lord. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. What's them? The words of the Lord from this generation forever. Now, I need you to think. When Moses wrote the book of Genesis, um, in the beginning, God, Moses began to write, in the beginning, God. Created the heaven, Moses right, created the heaven, and the earth, and the earth. That first writing of the book of Genesis was perfect, because it was inspired by God. Moses didn't come up with it, the Lord told him exactly what to write. When uh, uh, the Apostle Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, when he wrote that first generation copy of Matthew, it was perfect. When John wrote the book of Revelation uh, and uh, finished it, it was perfect. No one argues about the first generation copies of the 66 books of our Bible. This term is thrown around originals. <laughs> And so when the original writings of each 66 books were written, they were perfect. But there's a problem if you have a perfect copy of the Word of God. It's going to be read and passed to someone else, and they're going to read it, and they're going to pass it to someone else, and they're going to read it, and they're going to pass it to someone else. And as careful as they try to be, they're going to pass it. And, uh, do you know what's going to happen over time? That first generation copy that Moses and John and, and David and Paul wrote, it's going to be so tattered that it's going to fall apart. And so it's a great thing that there's a perfect Bible settled in heaven. There's a great thing that God gave his word to we on this earth. But folks, there are no first generation copies on this earth anymore. They're gone. They've been read and reread and reread and reread. And yet, you say, well, preacher, I guess it's, it's not a great miracle, even if the inspiration of God gave us perfect first generation copies, except for this promise. Look again at Psalm 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are. How could David say, that the word of God that God gave, how could it say that they still are, present tense, pure 
words. David, how can you say that? Because of the rest of the promise. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God made a promise that not only the original writings of the scriptures were perfect, but God promised that he would preserve not the original, but he promised that he would have that original copied and copied again and copied again and copied again and copied again and copied again. And, copied again. and God said he promised that he would preserve a line of perfect copies. Folks, nobody has the originals. Uh, anyone remember Larry Nelson, big bad Larry Nelson? You'd have been around here for a long time. Larry Nelson, bless his heart, was an old preacher. God saved him from a life of sin, a life of wicked. He was big. He was about six foot six. I'm sure 350. Half his teeth were gone. He looked like he ran into a Mack truck, and the Mack truck lost the fight. And I mean, he was, he was just a big man. He did an inner city work in Edmonton. He and his wife single-handedly had a soup kitchen. And none of those people messed with him. And when he got him in there, he'd say, first I'm going to preach. No, he'd say, first I'm going to preach. And then after they stayed for the preaching, then they would feed them. He locked the door. No one's leaving. No one's coming in. Do you know when Larry Nelson first got saved, he was in a church in Ontario, and the pastor that he was in constantly in his message said, the originals say, and it's unfortunate this is in our Bible because the originals say, big bad Larry Nelson one day walked into the office of his pastor and he said, I want to see him. And his pastor sitting in his little pastor, sitting in his little office chair, with big bad Larry Nelson leaning over the table. He said, Larry, Larry, you want to see what? He said, I want to see them originals. Because he said, quite frankly, almost every message, you correct my Bible with the originals. I want to see it. Uh, well, Larry, I, I, I don't have the originals. He said, okay, I want to know where to go get them. And he said, Larry... There's nowhere on this earth that you can find the originals. They just aren't around anymore. He looked at that preacher and he said, then I don't want you to correct the Bible that I have with the originals that can't be found anywhere. Folks, you've never heard from this pulpit. It's unfortunate that our King James says this because the originals say, you've never heard me say that. Do you know why we don't ever have to say that? Because of Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. God promised to preserve his words. The third thing, if you haven't written yet, third thing, God promised to preserve his word on earth. Our Lord said, uh, it says, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Do you know that word preserve means to protect? It means to keep from injury or decay or destruction. It means to sustain. It means to keep in a sound state. It means to defend from corruption. It means to prevent from changing. And I'm saying to you that God promised not only to give his word, he promised it would be perfect when he gave it, 
But he gave a second miraculous promise through thousands of years of time on this earth. I am going to preserve copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and you will be able to find on this earth a perfect copy of the Word of God. Folks, we believe in inspiration, but we also believe in preservation. Inspiration would mean very little to us if it was gone. But God in his grace preserved it somewhere. There has to be a perfect Bible. Pastor, do you believe that? Yeah, I not only believe that. Paul did. Look there. Uh, you can let go of Psalms if you would. Uh, look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Now, again, uh, this is the most critical doctrine that you can hold to. Folks, if the Bible that you have in your hand is not perfect, everything is at risk. Every doctrine that you hold, you have to believe it's perfect because of God's promise of inspiration and God's promise of preservation. 2 Timothy 3, we've already read verse 16 several times. I want you to back up one verse earlier, verse 15. Incidentally, who wrote 2 Timothy? Paul. Who did Paul write 2 Timothy to? The second Tim no, to Timothy a second time. Notice what Paul says about Timothy. Verse 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Hold on a minute. He said, Timothy, when you were raised in your home, you had access to scriptures. Now, Timothy didn't have access to all 66 books of the Bible between two covers. We know better than that. Because some of the books hadn't even been written when Timothy was just a boy. And yet Paul said to Timothy in that from a child, Tim, when you were young, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scripture. You know what that word holy means? Pure. Untainted without corruption we talk about the holy ghost folks we have a holy bible you know paul said timothy when you were just a child and that from a child thou hast known the holy scripture well, hold on i want you to think when timothy was just a child there were probably no new testament books that were written yet not when timothy was a child that meant all that Timothy probably had access to when he was a child was the Old Testament scriptures. And yet he didn't have the original of Genesis. Timothy, when he was a child, didn't have the original of Psalms, or the original of Isaiah. All that Timothy had was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. He might have had a 50th generation, not a first generation. And yet Paul said what you had and what you were raised under was the holy scriptures. If in Timothy's day there was a perfect scriptures, folks, in our day, somewhere, there has to be a perfect scriptures. I give you the fourth thing, and, and we're just going to get started on this. I'm going to give you the second half another time. I'll look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, again, a trust you've already written down. There is a perfect Bible settled in heaven. 
Secondly, God gave his word to this earth. Third, God promised to preserve his word on this earth. Now, really, uh, folks, uh, for 33 plus years I've been a pastor. Very few would argue that there's a perfect Bible settled in them. Few would argue with that. Some don't know it, but if they know it, they wouldn't argue with it. Very few would argue that the original writings of those 66 books were inspired by God. Very few would ever argue with that. Do you know where the argument is? The argument is, I don't think 3,500 years after the book of Genesis was written, that we could still have a perfect copy of the book of Genesis. That's where the argument comes. Now, I want you to think what that's saying about your opinion of God. That is saying, I believe that God could cause a man to write word for word the books of the Bible, and God could make sure they didn't make one single mistake when they wrote it. Because God has all power. But your God, who has all power to inspire a perfect original, your God ran out of steam. Your God got tired. And although he created this world in six days, although he cast the stars out, he ran out of power to preserve his word through time. That's not my God. God promised inspiration and God promised preservation. Having said that, 2 Corinthians 2. And again, we'll end on this thought tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look there at the last verse, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Some of you have a date on the top of that page. Give me a date for 2 Corinthians 2. Sorry, 50, 56, that's fine, 58, anyone else? 60, we'll take any of those dates because the dates aren't inspired. Um, do you know what, in, we'll, let's pick the middle one, 58. In 58 AD, that's not even 30 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. As much as there was a perfect Bible, at least Old Testament, because New Testament hadn't been finished yet, as much as there were perfect scriptures in Paul's day, do you know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.17? There were already people that were corrupting the Bible. Look at it again, 2 Corinthians 2.17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So although God made sure that there were some that were faithfully copying the scriptures perfectly without any error, the devil had his team that were taking the scriptures and they'd come to a verse and they didn't like it. So they changed it. And they'd take this word out and they'd take that phrase out and they'd take that statement out. You take something out of the word of God or you put something added into the word of God and you are corrupting the word of God. It's no longer the word of God. Paul said in that first century, not even 30 years after Jesus ascended, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. And what that tells you is that every Bible that you pick up today that might have Bible on the outside 
is not the preserved Word of God on the inside. And you know, that thought blows some people's minds. Because some people go to a bookstore, and some people decide what Bible they're going to buy by the color of the cover. <laughs> some people walk in to buy a Bible, and they say to the salesperson, do you know, my pastor said that I should buy a Bible, and I just got saved last couple of months, and, and he sent me in here to buy a Bible. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, that salesperson will steer you to a different Bible, and they'll give you all the reasons for it. You know what the number one sales pitch is? We just took hard words and changed them to easy words. How many have ever heard that before? That is the number. Listen, I was a salesman before I became a pastor. Now I'm still a salesman while I'm a pastor. That's a sales pitch. We only took hard words and changed them to easy words. Do you know that's a sales pitch that's very easy to prove or disprove? And I'll just show you one verse tonight. Look there in, in uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. So the fourth thing, fourth point to write down, not every Bible today is God's preserved word. Acts chapter number 8. And I know if you've been in this church for a while, you've seen this before, but it's a perfect example of how those that are corrupting the Word of God have done a whole lot more than take hard words and make them easy words. Acts chapter number 8. Let's start there in uh, verse 26. To get the story here, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Preacher, who is Philip? Philip uh, was a man that had gone to the city of Samaria. Philip was preaching there in Acts chapter 8. Many people were uh, getting saved. Philip was in the midst of a revival. Here in Acts 8, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south on the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Imagine being right in the middle of a revival. An angel says, you need to leave here, head down to the desert. <laughs> I, I, I'm a preacher. I, I, I don't think I would revel in that thought. You mean walk away from what's going on? Yes. Look at verse 27. And he arose and went. And you know he went down to that desert, and as he's standing there on that desert road, there's a chariot coming. You know the story. There's an Ethiopian eunuch in that chariot. He's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. He's gone all the way to Jerusalem, and now he's returning back to Ethiopia. And he is reading the scriptures. He's actually reading the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Great prophetical chapter about Jesus at Calvary. Philip sees him reading that scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asks him this question. Uh, look there in verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? So he's, he's walking beside this chariot, and he said, you know what you're reading? <laughs> he said, I haven't got the faintest idea. Look at the next verse, his answer. Verse 31, and he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The man said, do you know what I'm reading? Oh, yeah, I do. I actually do. He said, come on up here. And you know, while they're in that chariot, Philip explains that's all talking about Jesus Christ who would come, die on the cross, and shed his blood, pay for the sins of the world. Sir, you need to get saved. And he gave that lost Ethiopian eunuch who was a treasure of a queen. He gave her the gospel. 
That man trusted what Christ did. He got saved that day. Help me, what's the very next step after you get saved? Baptized. I don't think Philip missed a beat. He started giving him discipleship 101. And he said, you know what? Now that you have received Christ as your Savior, your next step is to be baptized. Oh, they're still going in this chariot. Look at verse 36. Acts 8 and verse 36. The Bible says, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That's a question. In verse 36, he asks Philip, you told me about baptism. There's water right here. Why can't I get baptized right now? Question. What's the only reason that he couldn't get baptized? If he's not saved yet. Folks, it doesn't matter how many times we baptize somebody. It means nothing if they haven't trusted Christ as Savior. That's why we don't baptize babies. That's why we don't baptize infants. That's why we're careful about baptizing children. We want to make sure they're saved and make sure they understand salvation. So we're just going to be careful. So he said, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? Well, look at, his, look at Philip's answer. It's, it's the most important verse in all the Bible about baptism. Look at verse 37. And Philip said, he's answering the question, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, you've got to be saved. You have to be a believer. And uh, he, that's this eunuch, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 37 is the clearest verse in all the scriptures that says you have to be saved before you get baptized. That verse 37 is pretty important. When at the end of the verse he said, I'm a believer, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I'm trying to say to you that in verse 37, it's the, most, it's the clearest verse in all the Bible that water baptism means nothing unless you're already saved. Is there any word in verse 37? Have a look at it. Don't, don't look at my forehead. It's not written on it. Any, verse, any word in verse 37 that you don't understand? I think it's pretty plain. Philip said, if thou believest all in your heart, thou mayest. You're a Christian if you're a believer. Here's the answer. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Folks, there is nothing hard. Now, remember the sales pitch. All we've done is taken hard words to easy words. Well, it's pretty easy to check that. I, I, I've got about a dozen Bible versions in my office. I didn't bring them. Here's one. This is the New World Translation. Who put out the New World Translation? JWs. So let's see what the JWs do with John 8, 37. John, I'm going to read verse 36. Now, as they were going over the road, they came to a certain body of water, and the eunuch said, look, a body of water. What prevents me from getting baptized? Do you know what they have for us? verse 37? A long dash. They've taken out the entire verse 37. They've taken out an entire verse, the clearest verse, that water baptism means nothing, unless you're already saved. It's gone. You say, well, preacher, that's a JW Bible. We wouldn't expect them to get it right. Well, here's a new American standard. Back in 1901, they came out with the American standard version. Well, this in 1952 was the new American standard version. 
Well, let's see what the New American Standard. They're not JWs. So surely they'd have it right. Well, Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. And if I had time, I'd have someone stand beside me to make sure I'm not lying to you. You'll have to take my word for it. You can look at it after. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Do you know what verse 37 says? See footnote. <laughs> See footnote. You never read that in the Bible anywhere, see footnote. They don't believe that verse 37 belongs in the scriptures. That's the JW Bible took it out. New American Standard took it out. This is a New International Version. For many years in your lifetime, this was the newest version. It's a New International Version. Let's see how they do. John chapter 8, verse 37. We're losing it. I must have read this too much. John chapter, John chapter 8 and verse 37. Uh, we read, uh, I'll read, start with verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, uh, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, that was verse 36. You know what their verse 37 says? It's not even in, there's not even a 37 there. They don't even take 37 out. They jump immediately to 38. They are not changing hard words to easy words. They're taking out truth. I had someone when I showed it, not, not recently, but someone when I showed it, I said, do you see how these new versions have removed truth? And this, this guy was pretty snarky. He said, how do you know that the King James translators just didn't add verse 37? I said, well, that's a pretty simple one. Because the King James writers can count. 35, 36, 37, 38, and all of the new versions. 35, 36, 38, 39. Listen. If I was trying to con somebody, I'm not. I'd at least fix up the verse numbers. Who would ever check it? But you know what? Foolishness doesn't always cover its tracks. If the Lord gives, lets me give you the second half next week. This Bible issue is the most important doctrine of the Christian faith. The devil knows if I can mess you up on the Bible issue, everything else you'll be uncertain about. Aren't you glad that there's a perfect Bible settled in heaven? What a blessing. Aren't you glad that the Lord gave the word to we on this earth? Aren't you glad that God promised to preserve the scriptures through time? And sad but true, not every Bible today is the preserved Word of God. Thank God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Lord, I know that this was just a whole lot more teaching than preaching. I understand that. Lord, I'm convinced also that uh, while the older guard might have settled the Bible issue, maybe uh, the younger folk never have. Maybe they've just always said, I'm King James because their parents did. They've always said, I'm King James, because their pastor did. And Lord, if it's not deeply rooted as a conviction in their heart, 
if they move to another church, if they move to another place, if they walk into a church that doesn't believe the Bible in their hands is perfect, folks, they have, uh, Lord, they've immediately began to lose ground as far as God's concerned. Help us to establish the Bible issue as a conviction in our heart. 